Hello and welcome to the Superposition Guys podcast. My name is Yuval, and my guests today are three experts in Quantum Monte Carlo. Gustavo Ordonez of Moody's Analytics, Jorgos Korpas of HSBC, and Jordanis Kerenidis of QCWare. We talk about what Quantum Monte Carlo is, the difference between classical and Quantum Monte Carlo, how soon before it becomes a production-ready algorithm, and much more. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, Gustavo. Hello, Jordanis. Hello, Jorgos. Um, thanks for joining me today. Hello. 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 So, uh, Gustavo, let's start with you. Who, who are you and what do you do? Um, right. So, Gustavo Ordonez, I work uh, for Moody's, Moody's Analytics. Um, uh, I'm a senior director, uh, data scientist, um, and I, I I basically work in research, so I, I build new um, new models, explore new ways of using the data um, to create new ways of uh, you know of, of looking at um, at, uh, at what can be done uh, and and how we can actually make better decisions faster, more accurately. Um, that then power our our products. So that's that's what I said and. Uh, Part of what I do is to help the quantum ecosystem within Moody's Analytics that is led by Sergio Gago that I know has been in the podcast in the past. So I, um, I support um, um, Sergio in that journey of uh, establishing a quantum computing uh, group at Moody's Analytics. And the reason for that is that I, I am uh, a passionate um, uh, uh, I'm very, very passionate about quantum computing, um, and um, I was a um, research physicist in the past, uh, many years ago, um, and that is where I discovered quantum computing, and, um, you know, I've been keeping a, an eye on it um, as a hobby for many years, and in the last three or four years, I've been actually um, looking at it on, more serious, on a more serious note. Um, uh, because it's becoming uh, more and more likely that it's actually going to have an impact on on the industry in the in the medium term, I would say. Excellent. So me. And, and Gustavo, what what city are you calling from today? Well, I'm, I'm calling from Scotland, actually, uh, Stirling in Scotland. Scotland, so it's a small city, a bit on in between in Glasgow and Edinburgh. Um, but I'm, I'm based in the in the uh, in, in our, our offices of, of uh, the Moody's Analytics offices in Scotland and, and in Edinburgh. But I'm actually um, now uh, working from home today, and I'm and I'm here in Sterling. Excellent. And uh, you're Dennis. I think you're calling from Paris. Who are you, and what do you do? Hi, you all. Yes, I am calling from Paris. My name is Jordanis Kerenidis. I'm the head of quantum algorithms for QCWare, which is a quantum software company. Uh, before that, I started working on quantum algorithms more than 20 years ago. I did my PhD in Berkeley, and then I was at MIT. And for the last 15 years, I'm based in Paris. I was working with CNRS at the university. And for the last three years, I'm working for QCWare, where I'm working on optimization and machine learning for the finance domain, but also other domains. And 
yeah, we have worked quite a bit with different financial institutes, in particular on the Monte Carlo uh, methods. So I'm very happy to be here. I'm, I'm glad you're here. And Yorgos, where are you calling from and who are you and what do you do? HSBC. I have a slightly different background uh, than most people involved in quantum computing since I come from uh, very uh, theoretical aspects of physics. I, I have a background in string theory and topological quantum field theories. Um, and uh, within HSBC, I co-lead the programs in uh, quantum optimization, quantum Monte Carlo, um, aspects of uh, uh, classical machine learning as well. And uh, just like Gustavo and Jordanis, I'm extremely passionate about the topic and I'm very happy to be here. Excellent. And I'm not an expert on uh, Quantum Monte Carlo, um, certainly not to the level that you are. And maybe, Jordanis, you can tell me what Monte Carlo is. And Gustavo, maybe you can tell what the difference between Monte Carlo and Quantum Monte Carlo. So, Jordanis, why don't you go first, please? Mm -hmm. Sure. So I'll try to be, you know, to say it in a simple way, as I understand it, I'm also not a finance expert, <laughs> but the idea is that um, we want to, we have some assets that we want to price, for example, and we want to understand how to price them. And the way we do it is by constructing some sort of model for the market, for example, uh, which mathematically is some stochastic process. And what we do uh, is we try to run many different scenarios, you know, uh, according to this process. And for each one of these scenarios, we compute the right price for our asset. And then once we do it many, many times, we aggregate all of these results and we compute on expectation what we say is the correct way to price uh, this asset. So this is kind of the Monte Carlo way of, of pricing some asset. And Gustavo can continue on the quantum, I guess, way of, of doing it. Okay, so so yeah, thanks, Jordanis. So the, the idea behind Monte Carlo is, is actually very simple. Uh, you basically, um, you have a problem that is too difficult to solve analytically, so you can only tackle it numerically. And what you do is to um, is to you is to draw from a random distribution that you can draw efficiently from, and basically, um, you know the the uh, the draws from that random distribution that um, end up in the solution space that you're interested in you keep and, the, and the, the rest you discard. And by doing that, you can infer the actual answer to the problem that you're looking for. That, that is in essence what Monte Carlo, the Monte Carlo technique is. And it's extremely flexible. It's, it, it works for a very, very large number of problems. It's also very powerful in the sense that it can uh, solve very high dimensional problems efficiently. Um, but at the same time, um, what I say efficiently actually is, in the sense that it's very easy to code, very easy to um, uh, to you know to 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 get to run, etc. But it's actually not very efficient in the sense that it actually takes a long time to to run because you have to draw many many um, samples from this um, random distribution. Um, the what Quantum Monte Carlo does is to leverage um, very well known 
or a very well-known set of algorithms uh, in, in the quantum algorithm domain, uh, namely the Grover algorithm, the amplitude estimation algorithms, um, to do the same that you would do classically, but uh, quadratically faster. So that means if that if the, if the particular problem you want to solve um, classically takes, say, one million simulations to to reach the level of accuracy you are interested in, on in principle, theoretically, on a quantum computer, you could do that with only 1,000 samplings, which is a huge gain. Um, if you if you take into account, you know that many of these problems are huge problems for which you need uh, uh, very large computer clusters in the cloud to to run overnight um, to 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 be able to also get to the answer. So you know that that is why um, this is one of the of the key problems in quantum finance that have been explored by financial institutions. Um, and so, so, but but is, as I said, it does it it does. In essence, that's the same thing. Is is this sampling from a um, distribution? In this case, the because the quantum circuit um, runs on a on a machine that is already stochastic by nature. Uh, what you do is to is to leverage the these these well known algorithms that that I mentioned to actually do the same quadratically faster. So, uh, Yorgos, in your opinion, what makes quantum Monte Carlo, at least theoretically, better than regular Monte Carlo? Is it that the uh, random distribution for quantum could be real? Is it the ability to run multiple scenarios simultaneously on a quantum machine? Why the big interest in, in quantum? Um, I would say that uh, it's essentially what uh, Gustavo mentioned, which is that um, it's a sample complexity. So normally, uh, you know, like for if, if you have a very simple case where you want to run a classical Monte Carlo with, say, a hundred samples, uh, your uh, your um, confidence interval for this estimation would scale uh, proportionally to the one over square root of hundred. So that's uh, you know uh, an error of zero point one. Uh, but essentially, quantumly using these uh, algorithms that um, Gustavo mentioned and Iordan has been developing for a long time now, uh, you can uh, do this uh, uh, in, a, in you, you can compute this confidence interval um, in a scaling that goes one over n. So what, uh, where m are your steps? So for 100 steps, that would be 0.01%. 0.01, so that's 1%. Um, so uh, it's essentially this improvement in accuracy that you obtain, uh, or which can also be converted to speed. Uh, however, I would like to know there are several limitations uh, as to uh, that we may be discussed uh, at a certain point. Yeah. Um, you're, you're Dennis, I think you work with customers on a variety of fields, maybe not just finance. Is Quantum Monte Carlo applicable to additional areas, or is it primarily? used in the finance field? Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it is a very basic mathematical way of trying to, to, to calculate something. So it does have applications in many other domains. But I think the finance one is one where it's really used all the time and very much. And this is really where we're trying to see uh, exactly how quantum can help or when 
quantum will help because as Yorwas was saying, there are some caveats in this algorithm. Um, the first one is that um, in order to get the speed up from a million samples to a thousand samples, which is amazing if we manage to do it, right? We need to have these quantum circuits, which are very deep, like let's call it a thousand times deep. And this necessitates very good quality qubits, which are not the qubits that we have today, but we hope you know, to get at some point. Um, one of the things, one of the way to kind of maybe try to overcome this this obstacle is um, is also based on some work that we did with Coleman Zacks that says a very simple thing, which is that if you want to get this thousand times faster algorithm, then you need this very deep thousand deep circuit, but you can get a ten times you know speed up if you have a 10 deep circuit so you don't have to wait until you have this very very good quality qubits to get the entire speed up you can start getting smaller speed ups which hopefully will still be relevant right from a business and finance point of view with much simpler quantum circuits so this is one of the two reasons why we now think that quantum monte carlo may not be so far ahead in the future but a little bit closer let's say mid term and the second uh, quick comment I want to make that, the, as we said, up to now, what we were counting is how many samples do we need to take from this process, from this distribution, right? One part that we don't talk so much uh, in the quantum cases is how much, how difficult it is to actually take one sample from this distribution, right? Because in order to run this quantum algorithm, we actually need to do this sampling in a superposition in a quantum way in order to fit it into the quantum algorithm. And this is not obvious how to do like some things like a Brownian motion or geometric Brownian motion very efficiently in the quantum case. And uh, this is also a very interesting part on how do we make this part also most efficient. So then we may be able to not do only 10 samples, but 100 samples in order to get a 100 times speed up. So putting these two things together, doing the stochastic modeling very fast and saving all the number of samples that we need can actually, we think, provide an end-to-end -end solution, quantum solution to the Monte Carlo pricing uh, problem in the, in the near future. So Gustavo, I'm curious about your perspective about how practical it is today. I mean, obviously there are algorithms like Shor's algorithm that promise amazing things, but are impractical using today's computer. Um, you work at Moody's. Are you using Quantum Monte Carlo in a production way today? Or if not, how far do you think they are? Um, no, we're not using it. Uh, and I don't think we're going to be using it any, any anytime soon. Uh, that's why I, would, I, in my opening, I, I mentioned maybe the medium term. Um, a medium term, I'm talking probably five years, maybe five, five, ten years, something like that. Um, I mean, the limitation right now is is the hardware, as Jordan um, um, was uh, alluding to. We don't have hardware with enough fidelity to be able to really uh, run these uh, algorithms in in a naive way. So we need to find ways to extract as much as we can with the noisy hardware that we're going to have. Uh, for now, uh, you know, for, for the foreseeable future. Um, and therefore, uh, 
you know, algo, algo developers, what we need to, what they need to, to, to do is basically find ways to, um, to play or find, you know, find ways to, to deal with the fact that we're have, going to have noise, noisy um, hardware. Um, we're going to be losing some of the advantage that is promised by the theoretical uh, theoretical advantage promised by the algorithm, the, the, the theoretical algorithms that we know today. Um, but so, you know, to find ways around those limitations and still extract as much of uh, advantage as you can. Uh, but I don't think that, as I said, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. However, another thing that I would say is that um, no one runs these um, in, in the classical term. You know, when we run classical Monte Carlos, we we never use the uh, more naive way of, of doing this, or very rarely we do the more naive way of running these algorithms. There are many, many improvements that you can do on the classical side, like important sampling or... Um, uh, you know, another variance reduction techniques. There are there are many many of them um, that actually give you um, a huge advantage already on the classical uh, on, on the classical um, naive uh, Monte Carlo algorithms. Um, so, Yorgos, maybe you want to add to that, and you're done. Is after that uh, you mentioned some of the work you did with Goldman Sachs. Maybe you could give us sort of a, a lay of the land of uh, the improvements that you've seen in recent years. But maybe some understanding first for the um, for the people who may not be so much aware of what uh, we mean as quantum alternatives from Monte Carlo. And that it, essentially, it's not one algorithm. It's essentially an amalgam of uh, three, four, maybe quantum subroutines, quantum algorithms. And uh, while indeed it's the case that uh, if you want to run the original ideas that were they were developed in the 2000s, it's very difficult, as Iordanis has mentioned. Uh, he also knows very well, he's one of the co-developers of um, improvements of these algorithms, wherein, uh, for example, you can take some of these subroutines and replace them with something else. Uh, this something else could be some classical part, for example. So there's some classical post-processing uh, in the way, so in the way as your algorithm develops, you can do some classical post-processing that may not be the best thinking you could do, but it can definitely bring it to this uh, time frame that Gustavo mentioned, the five-year time frame. Um, there are other, uh, you know, there are other variations that Jordanis is much better to explain. For example, his co-prime uh, quantum multitude estimation, which is also very promising. Um so, so I think, you know, that it's not all negative uh, by any means, but at the same time, I totally agree with Gustavo in the fact that there is some pressure, especially when you don't work in a university, you know, to focus only on the algorithmic side, but quantum computing is three steps. It's data loading, it's compute, and it is readout. And maybe the community should also pay more attention to, for example, the problem that Jordanis briefly mentioned, which is the data loading, to do it more efficiently um, in order to speed up in uh, your computations and not, you know, uh, not bury your, qu your quadratic advantage in these overhead uh, costs. And the same, of course, goes into having accurate readouts. 
So when we develop these algorithms that are so fundamental and they will be of such importance for financial applications, we need to take a step back and look at the bigger picture as well, because improvements in these uh, sites, in the beginning and the end of the algorithm, actually can imply that the algorithm can come closer in the time frame for actual application. Yeah, I, I totally agree with yours that you know, if we really want to see any of these uh, advantages in practice, then we really need to take care of every single part of the of the workflow. And he was mentioning the data loading part of, again, how do we load these Brownian paths or things like that. And we have been working lately on this. It's not an easy thing to do, but uh, we do think that we can provide very shallow circuits like logarithmic side circuits for doing this uh, this data loading part which in turn would mean that the entire depth of the circuit and the, the quality of the qubits can now be much much less so yeah I would still agree that uh, we are a five year out you know, to see Quantum Monte Carlo starting to, to really bring something. I wouldn't put it closer than that. And to make it happen in five years, we do need the hardware to continue to, to develop and to advance, uh, as the roadmaps are saying. So we believe that they will continue to advance the way they're uh, thinking they can. And on the algorithmic side, uh, as Joros was mentioning, we do need to keep working on it. So I don't want to, to, we shouldn't think of quantum applications as something where the algorithms are already there and we're just waiting for the hardware, right? We really need to push the algorithms as much as we can because as Gustavo was saying, we do have to do with very noisy and not very big quantum machines and we have to make the best out of them. And we really need to understand everything about them if we can actually you know make make a good use of them and really bring some sort of real world uh, advantage you spoke about the hardware and the need to have deeper circuits um would more qubits help i mean if you had a choice between a computer that mm. can run a 10 times deeper circuit or has 10 times more qubits mm. would one be much better for quantum yeah, yeah. uh, monte carlo than the other uh, it depends on the application. I think on the Monte Carlo side, it's the quality of the qubits which is more important than how many qubits. We do need more qubits than we have today, but I think the bottleneck is really that we need to do these deep computations. So we need uh, more depth. Of course, you can get more depth by error correcting your physical qubits. So if I had many physical qubits, I can use some of them to make fewer, better qubits, let's say, right? But uh, yeah, we need a couple of orders of magnitudes better fidelity than we have today. It is in the roadmaps of the hardware providers for the next five years, right? So we are not expecting something out of the ordinary to happen, right? And we are continuing to, to, to reduce, as you said, how many qubits do we need or how good these qubits should be and still get a good result. Yeah, if, I, if I may add a little bit to, to Jordani's answer, I think it also depends on the particular problem in finance that we're talking about. Uh, because, you know, if Jordani's mentioned already that one of the uh, uses of 
cuando Monte Carlo would be in uh, option pricing. And, and there, you know, you have, um, typically you would have a few sources of uncertainty in the problem. So, you know, we'll have the, the price of the stock, uh, maybe the, the volatility, you can also assume that follows some kind of a stochastic process. Um, you can you can add jumps uh, to the process as well. So you might have a, a, a third source of uncertainty um, or the stochasticity. Um, and, and, you know, uh, and basically for each of these sources of uncertainty, you would need more qubits to, to deal with, right? So now if you move into um, a basket of options um, where you have, you know, a 10, 15 assets, uh, then the problem uh, multiplies by 15. And if you move into the realm of, um, for example, create portfolio, uh, where Monte Carlo is now deal with potentially millions of assets, then at the minimum you would need, um, even if you you know, you know assume that it's only one source of uncertainty per asset, you would need at least 1 million uh, qubits just to deal with, with the uncertainty from, from the assets. So it really depends on which application we're thinking of that, you know, we can get away with just having a, you know, um, um, fewer, better quality qubits uh, than the, the more complex applications in finance that would actually actually need uh, millions of good quality qubits. Now, I think that um, the original Monte Carlo was invented in Los Alamos as part of the Manhattan Project. And obviously, there were a lot of physicists and mathematicians there. When you guys work on these algorithms, um, even with that five-year horizon, uh, what kind of people do you need on your team to improve Monte Carlo? Are they more finance people? Are they biologists, uh, uh, quantum scientists? You know, is there a particular type of person that you're looking for to add to your team? Oh, if I start, um, well, typically we're looking for people with um, uh, technical education. So we're looking with people with uh, masters or PhDs in, in a quantitative subject. And, and it can actually vary from, uh, you know, people from a math, engineering, physics, econo economics, you know, um, but, but also um, uh, you can actually go to the more specialist uh, financial mathematics uh, type of, of um, experts. But, uh, you know, it comes to um, you know, the, the advantage of having someone with more financial uh, mathematics type of thing is that they know already the, the type of problems that we're solving in, in finance. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, these quantitative skills are, um, are um, uh, you know, they, they, they are very easy, easy to transfer from one domain to another. So if you have good mathematical skills, good analytical skills, combined with a decent amount of um, IT programming skills, then you're in, in a good place, right? If you, if you if you tick these boxes, it doesn't matter so much if you're coming from physics, mathematics, financial mathematics, you will, uh, you know, you will, you will get there. Although I would say that um, in the beginning, it's always a steep learning curve to actually uh, get to the level of knowledge about the financial industry that you would need to really be able to use those mathematical analytical skills to solve real world problems in finance. Yeah, on our side, I think one important thing is the experience in building and developing new quantum algorithms. And this is uh, something which is quite rare because we are not a very big community, unfortunately. 
So we need people who are very confident with classical algorithms and quantum information so they can start developing new quantum algorithms. But I agree with Gustavo that the, the most impactful research happens when the expertise on the quantum side comes together with expertise on the finance side because we do need to understand what is really the bottleneck and what do we need to care about or care less about and what is really the problem that we are trying to solve. So understanding the financial part of this is really what the difference between a theoretical publication on quantum algorithms and a real financial solution with a quantum computer, right? So I think we need we need both, yeah. And uh, Yorgos, do you have uh, something to add? Yeah, I totally agree with both Yordanis and Gustavo. Um, I would just like to add a small you know, comment that uh, in my experience I found particularly useful. Um, I found particularly useful the interaction with people who understand um, stochastic uh, mathematics. So uh, stochastic uh, differential equations, stochastic uh, optimal control. Uh, and real analysis and the reason is that often when we're at the initial stage uh, of quantum co- quantum algorithm development sometimes we omit certain uh, certain technical stuff about uh, the speed ups we give and such however it is the case that um, you know you have to take into account small technicalities for example what type of function what type of distribution are you working with uh, well, you know, there is a difference between holder continuity and Lipschitz continuity, and this affects the. It affects a lot. You know, the the the, the bounds you give on your algorithms. There is no single answer, right? So I believe that a lot of disciplines can contribute at different levels in the algorithm development, but they all have a difficult learning uh, curve. Very good. So as we get close to the end of our conversation, I want to ask you one of my um, favorite questions. If you could have dinner uh, with one of the quantum greats, you know, dead or alive, don't don't say both dead and alive, no superposition here, Um, who would that person be? Uh, Maybe Jordanis, you're first, and then Gustavo, and then uh, Yorgos, please. Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, So I think I had dinner with many of the people who are alive. So I'm very happy with that. And I'm sure I'll get some opportunity to to eat with the rest of them. So I would go for someone who who is dead for a long time. And I would say Niels Bohr. And the main reason is because Bohr actually had the right idea and the right intuition about quantum mechanics. And there was a big fight between him and Heisenberg on what does it really mean? What quantum mechanics really mean. And even though we talk more about Heisenberg and Heisenberg's uncertainty principles, it's actually Bohr's idea, which is the one that we believe today. So I would I would really want to have dinner with Niels Bohr and understand how he came up with all these counterintuitive ideas that actually are the ones that we believe today. Okay, I think I would uh, want to, to have dinner with um, Paul Dirac, um, and the reason is that, uh, you know, I have to, to say you have to, I, I admire the passion that he had and the, the self-belief that he had, that he had found the right solution uh, when when solving his, fa- you know, for his famous equation that in essence predicted the, 
antimatter, right? And, and the positron was was found um, shortly, well, or uh, I think it was a couple of years after he actually published the, his, his 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 findings. But uh, you know, the, the fact that um, the entire community was thinking that it cannot be right because it um, his solutions predicted negative energy and that didn't make any sense. Um, and he found the the solutions that he had found so elegant that it had to be correct, and it was just a matter of finding the right interpretation. Uh, I think that was um, incredible, and uh, I, I would love to hear from the from his own mouth um, how he actually coped with potential lot of pressure around him to basically ditch the you know uh, move away from that theory, and um, uh, and and he managed to to, to keep and and to his guns and and really um uh, you know basically dig up and dig and dig until he found uh, a, a more plausible explanation and it turned out to be to be um the right one and, and a massive new discovery for for science okay so i would go with alan turing because i think he's a giant uh and he's uh you know one of the people responsible for uh you know the age of information we live uh, right now, including the quantum information and the ideas he sparked from philosophy to pure math, to applied math, to engineering, and his contributions are enormous. The notion of computable functions, what is computable and what is not computable. And yeah, I would be very curious to to ask him a lot of questions and get intuition and you know inspiration out of him. Uh, I, I think that would be my choice. Maybe I would like to invite John von Neumann as well, if I were allowed. Yeah. Excellent. And Gustavo, I had a previous guest that uh, said that uh, Dirac was not a very good conversationalist. He, he he spoke very little, but when he spoke, it had uh, a tremendous meaning. So I think my previous guest said, yeah, I'd love to have Dirac, but maybe we also have Feynman or someone just to um, <laughs> yeah. keep, uh, keep everyone engaged. Um, yeah, apparently, you know, once he said, Paul, Paul said to to Feynman, was, um, do you have a equation name after your, after yourself? Um, that you know Feynman didn't, so we're like, um, I, I, that was it. That was the extent of the conversation. Um, so yeah, I think I think the they did. Yeah, it could it could be quite awkward that that the dinner with uh, Paul Dirac. You're absolutely right, but it's still, uh, it, it's one of my um, absolutely you know absolute um, idols. Um, so. I would love to to spend the time, even if it was a, a very one-way conversation in the end. Perfect. So, uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me today. What's the best thank way you. for uh, people to get in touch with you to learn more about your work? Uh, maybe Gustavo and then Jordanis and then uh, Yorgos? Yeah, I mean, any, anyone that is interested in, in quantum computing and how we are thinking about um, um, utilizing quantum computing in, 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 in at Moody's uh, can get uh, in contact with me um, and I, I can um, leave the my contact details with you and if anyone wants to reach out can do I'm also on LinkedIn so um, anyone that is interested in, in knowing more about what we do can send me a um, contact request and I'll be happy to uh, to accept and, mm -hmm. and, and we can have a conversation. Yeah, uh, the same uh, through LinkedIn or through the QCWare website. We are collaborating with many people in finance, so we are always happy to to talk more about these topics and um, yeah, work together to make it happen.
So for me, it's the same. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. And uh, yeah, if you want to know anything about uh, how uh, you know we use quantum in HSBC and what we're interested in, what we're doing, uh, I'll be happy to provide answers and uh, engage into a nice discussions. And also, of course, through uh, archive papers and such. So um, there are ways. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you.